Welcome, everyone. This whole month, we're using this book called Spiritual Economics of Eric Butterworth. And as with any good prosperity program, I think they all have a section on gratitude. And this one's no different. There's a whole chapter on gratitude in here. And I will tell you, you know, I kind of have almost like a, a little pat answer around gratitude. And I'm sure you've heard it before. In every science of mind community, people will say, uh, that which you are grateful for will increase. That's sort of the spiritual principle involved. And so as we're grateful for our loved ones, love will grow. As we're grateful for our job, uh, the conditions will improve and we'll get a raise and, and so on. I mean, it makes sense that as we direct the energy in, in our heart towards being grateful for things, that we're going to start seeing more of those things. It makes sense. I was stunned, though, it was as though I had read this book for the first time. And, and this is like the third or fourth time through. And I realized all this time, I had been focusing only on half of the situation. And it really stunned me. And, it, and it, again, it totally makes sense from a science of my perspective. And I want to share with you my, my sort of stunnedness or my disbelief. So if you think about it, we believe that it is our mental atmosphere that thoughts become things. So that as we have a mental atmosphere, as we, as we have a set of beliefs, so our life will be productive in that area. So if we believe in, in fear and lack and trouble, well, hello, we can expect more of it. If we believe in love and joy and the, the fruitfulness of life, well, well, then that will happen. And yet, in many ways, I have this turned on my head about gratitude. Think about it for a minute. What are we grateful for? When we're grateful for the stuff of life, right? So we're kind of waiting until, I don't know, until we get a raise at work and then we're grateful for it. We wait until we have a really sweet romantic evening with our sweetheart and well, and of course we're grateful for it. We wait until the kids bring home straight A's or, or at least no F's, <laughs> right? And we're grateful for it. But don't you see when we use gratitude in that way, and there's nothing wrong with it, we're actually having the effect lead the cause. We're taking the thing out there that's already been created from some kind of mental atmosphere in ourselves, and we're saying my gratitude is dependent on this thing occurring, this situation, this, this lovely occurrence. And it isn't that there's anything wrong with that. Well, of course it's lovely to feel, I mean, truly it feels lovely to feel grateful for things that, uh, that uh, happen to us when they're good and, and blessed and sweet. Do you see where I'm going? It's like, what about when the tide's out? <laughs> right? I mean, we all, at least I hope I'm not the only one that has the problem of a week that might be difficult to find things in it to be grateful for. We all have those weeks. So what? When we need it the most, the gratitude's going to dry up? Do you see? I think it's really curious. And, and what Eric Butterwork in this book portrayed really well is the idea not to be great, well, to be grateful for the stuff of life, but that's the tip of the iceberg. It is life itself that can turn us on. We don't necessarily need to have a, a thing happen to feel grateful. We don't necessarily have a, have a certain interchange or a situation or an encounter set up to have that feeling of, of gratitude and, and, and feeling blessed and welcome in the world. It doesn't require an outside stimulus.
And it reminded me of a time in my life, I, I kind of want to share maybe a longer than usual story, but, but, I, but hopefully you'll bear with me and, and it'll, uh, it'll fit in okay. So about 15, maybe 17, maybe 18 years ago, I was working for the telephone company and they sent me to New York City on business. First time really I'd ever been in a big city at all. I mean, really, like Portland to New York City. And in fact, the fellow I went with, Craig, um, one of my office mates, we're like, you know, we're, we're doing the total tourist thing, you know, about to get hit by a taxi while we're trying to see the top of tall buildings and things like that. Uh, but we did a very smart thing. We went there a few days early. So the conference started on Monday, and it was kind of a week-long computer conference. We went there like four days early, got to the hotel, and I went to the concierge and just said, um, you live in New York, you love it here, tell us what we should see. And this very kind gentleman, the concierge, set us up to go to Ellis Island and set us up to do the um, um, uh, uh, the Empire State Building and set us up to do the uh, uh, the Subway Museum and, and Brooklyn. And so, so, you know, that was kind of our initial experience of New York City. And I got to tell you, it was amazing on our day at Ellis Island. It wasn't so much the numbers of people that had come through Ellis Island to settle in America, but the stories of them. They were such compelling stories of, of hope and freedom and a willingness to kind of put everything on the line to try something important, to make a new way for themselves and their families, to let perhaps everything that they had known and been safe with behind, leave that behind, pack up all of your belongings and, and move just with the promise in your heart and an understanding that it is going to be better. It touched us. And even though some of the stories maybe didn't turn out so well, nonetheless, what I got from Ellis Island is that for a dream, you can give everything away. That for a compelling dream of goodness and beauty and joy and making it in the world, oh my gosh, it is worth that. So then we went to the uh, the Subway Museum, and uh, and I was amazed. I mean, the subways in their conceptions were works of art, not just utility. So so they have had recreated a little bit of what Grand Central Station looked like when it was originally built. It was a palace. You would have thought you were in the most exclusive department store. And this was like 1910 when its first iter gorgeous iteration. I mean, at that point in the in the history of New York City, in the public works, where today we just pour a little concrete and say, well, here's a bridge. They were doing amazing feats of not only engineering, but artistry. And we really had a sense of the artists that were also the engineers that, that built the subways, that built the Brooklyn Bridge. Some of the staggering and staggeringly beautiful things that human beings were interested in doing at that time when around them was a great deal of squalor. They were making a palace of a subway station. They were making a beauty of a bridge. And they were doing it really with, again, that, that optimism of, yes, we deserve this. Yes, this is important. So then the, the other thing that just really strikes me was, uh, was going up in the Empire State Building. So you get there and, and, and you go up to kind of an interpretive center about the 50th floor, something like that. And they tell you all about how it was built. And, and once again, I am stunned. They were building that building when things like that had never been done before. 
They didn't know how to build a skyscraper, right? They, would put, they truly didn't. They had to do all kinds of stuff from the, from the very beginning in terms of stress load and, and, you know, it has to be able to move in the wind and, and things that were unheard of. They invented that whole ability to build something beyond a, a few dozen stories. And they did it magnificently and beautiful. It was a dream. And, and they told about the steel workers and, and some of the things they did to lobby for, for better pay and for safety. And it, and it really kind of started the labor movement and, and how proud everyone was of that. And then we got on the elevator and went to the top. And I got to tell you, it was as though all of those intentions for beauty and utility and, and life were spread out. If you have never done this, you know, do yourself a favor and, and see the world from that kind of vista. Because all of those intentions that we'd been hearing about, all of that, that promise of the new world kind of stuff, there it was. And Craig and I, by the time we joined our conference on Monday morning, we were actually changed people. It was one of the most heart-opening and powerful experiences that either of us had done. In fact, Monday was jarring, right? We're, we're back, packed into a conference center with the people, you know, very intent on selling computers and software and, and stuff like that. And it was a little jarring to us. But more jarring than that, so we got there four days early and, and we had the, the concierge's view of, of New York in its majesty, but showing up on Monday morning were the other 10 or 12 people that we worked with. And I got to tell you, on the plane ride back, what were we hearing? Did you see the rats crawling on the trees in New York City? Did you notice how rude that waitress was when we went into such and such restaurant? Did you notice how all of Central Park looked like it needed a good steam cleaning? It's as though they had been to a different city than what we went to. It was as though they were down at such a low level of, of negativity and details that they could not see the lofty grandeur. They could not see why that city was great. Because all they could see were the cracks on the sidewalk. I think what I'm describing here happens to us around the topic of gratitude as well. When we are focused in our own lives on the minutiae, on the things that inevitably go right and go wrong, we will, we will like a tide experience the ebb and flow of causality that may produce gratitude or may produce upset. It may produce longing. It may produce lack. It may produce abundance. It may produce joy. Each of us in our own way experiencing the day-to-day -day details of life will bring what it brings. And yet, and yet, if we would take that elevator up, if we would go to the 50th floor of our own lives and just, even just for a moment, realize why we're here. Realize the hopes and dreams that are in our own hearts as, as though we're arriving from Ellis Island. 
If we were to see the majesty, the beauty that could be that potential in our own being for doing great things, for producing beauty, for having that extraordinary love affair, then a further ride to the top and the vista of our magnificent lives, do you think we would care whether the sidewalk was broken on a certain day? Do you would think we would care if, a, if we had a fight with a loved one when we recognize the grandeur that is relationship, that is the potential with a family member? This, I think, is what we base enduring gratitude on, that view from the top, that ability to understand how poignant our lives are, to understand the, both the, the utility and the heartfelt sense of the hopes and dreams of a lifetime. When we are at that level, we are grateful for life. We recognize that nothing, nothing can stand in our way. We understand that life is always here for us, to support us, to bring about that grand vision. There will be nothing to stop us. There may be the occasional sewer rat. It, it happens to all of us. But oh my gosh, in the scale of things, from the top of that building, you couldn't even see whether the cars were washed or not. <laughs> And from the height of your own potential, something like a fight with a loved one or being overlooked for a temporary promotion, it is nothing. This is what I want for us to, to have that greater understanding on this day. The gratitude can certainly be based on being grateful for things that have happened to us. It certainly can be grateful, and, and it's always grateful to me when I'm, I'm with friends and loved ones and we have a grand time together. But I'm thinking that's just the tip of the iceberg for me now. I'm thinking I'm going to focus on the gratitude that's irrelevant compared to what's going on in my life in the, the details and the minutiae. I'm going to focus on that high view of my life as love, as possibility, as joy, having something to do and a, the wondrous sense of getting it done. This is what I'm grateful for on this day. I'm also going to leave you today with a, um, a spiritual practice, and it's one that's gone a little bit out of favor, I think. Uh, are you guys familiar just with the idea of a blessing? I, I think in its most common form, we think of it at Thanksgiving, and we maybe ask the, uh, you know, someone to say a blessing uh, for Thanksgiving. And in that respect, it's no more and no less than being grateful um, for the food that you're about to eat and the, the blessings of the, the, the day that, that's progressing nicely. Do you see how a blessing is both gratitude but also forward thinking? It's kind of setting yourself up to be grateful for something. Because it's before you ate the meal. It's before you had the, the full day of Thanksgiving with friends. And, and what I'd like to suggest, whether you're blessing a baby or you're blessing a meal or you're blessing a vacation or you're blessing a new car or a new apartment, what you're doing is setting yourself up for something wild and extraordinary. You're setting yourself up for more than just a moment of gratitude and goodness. You're planting that seed of a, of a lifetime or at least a moving forward of, of continualness in that good vein, in those high thoughts, in that, that lofty view of what's going to happen.
And so the spiritual practice and your homework for this week, I would just love it if we introduce the idea of blessings back into our lives. So tomorrow, let's start tomorrow, maybe even later this afternoon, bless a meal. You know, Daniel and I, I will, I will admit, we got a look from the people at the original pancake house <laughs> when we said grace the other day. But you know what? Who cares? It was wonderful. It felt sweet. Introduce back into your lives, if you would, the idea of a blessing. Maybe you want to bless your day, or maybe you want to bless your child as she or he goes off to school. Maybe you want to bless your apartment. Maybe you want to bless your job, even if things aren't quite the way you'd like them to be right now. Maybe you can bless that higher view of what your job is and what it brings you and your family. Maybe you can bless something that on the surface you might have trouble finding gratitude for. Do you know what I mean? Because you're taking that high view. You're taking that higher road. You're understanding the potential and why we do things, not just whether on a certain day something went well or went poorly. So that's your homework for this week. Think of it as a blessing. And it will be. I want to close with... uh, with a quote from, uh, from this book about blessings. Keep alive the commitment to the view from the top. Keep centered in the feeling of thanksgiving always. Your thanksgiving is more than a response to what is happening around you right now. It's actually a celebration of truth. And this becomes a continuity of ongoing blessings leading always towards prosperity. Let us pray. There is one power, one, one presence, one joy, one life, one infinity of God's good. And I know I'm included in that. I know that means me. And as it is true for me, each person here has the, the ability to reach out and receive God's love. Even as we open our heart through this idea of blessings, as we open our heart in gratitude to, to see that high view of our own lives, God responds providing whatever is necessary to move that forward, providing more love, providing more material goods, providing comfort, providing safety or security, whatever is needed when we stick to that high view of our own lives, that potential for our own blessings, God responds. And so in advance, this week, I am grateful. I I offer the blessing to this congregation of an amazing week. A week filled with love, with light, with laughter, with that sense of belonging and being connected. This is what I I bless and know about each one of us, both individually and as a group this week. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for recognizing the power and presence in each person in this room. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much.